Good morning. Um, hey everyone, um, my name is Sam. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the elders here. And I am really excited to preach Colossians 4 today. But I know that Catherine just prayed, but do you mind if I pray again? I really need the help. And uh, if you could do me a favor and pray for me as I pray for you, I'd appreciate that. Let's go to God in prayer. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone mature in Christ. God, I pray that right now that we would be more mature in Christ, that we would be able to see a sermon on evangelism and see maturity here. Help us bring your spirit here. We need your help. And help the power that works powerfully within us grow. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right, so if you are new here or have been with us for a long time, for the past two months, we have been going through the book of Colossians. And now we are nearing the end of the series. See a few tears here, it's okay. Um, but even though we're nearing the end of the series, the main message of the book of Colossians will never have an end. See, the main message of the book of Colossians is this, is that Jesus is preeminent. And because he is preeminent, in Jesus, you have complete salvation. In Jesus, you have complete fullness. In Jesus, you have, are completely righteous. There is nothing outside of Jesus that is more powerful and sufficient for you. And so underneath the main theme, we are now hitting into the last chapter, chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. Listen, I know that we just read this passage, but let me reread it real quick so it sinks in a little bit deeper, okay? Verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 to 6. Bring out your Bibles because we're going to be all over this, okay? All right, verse 2, chapter 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All right, so just reading this here, family, you know what type of sermon this is going to be, right? This is going to be one of those good old-fashioned evangelism sermons, right? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, hearing that, is, that this is going to be an evangelism sermon is going to emit one of two reactions, okay? And the first reaction could be, like, you're an all-star Christian, and you're going to be like, oh, amen, Sam, amen, preach, brother. I need this reminder as a disciple of Jesus to declare the beauty of King Jesus to the people around me, especially to those who don't know him yet. Amen, I'm excited. Or, or, and I would submit that most of us here are kind of like this. It's kind of like, ooh, Oh, like, like you just ate a bad burrito or something. You're, like, you're holding your stomach. Oh, I think I'm, I think I'm gonna feel very guilty after this. I'm gonna feel bad. Um, when was the last time I talked about Jesus? Uh, you know, well, I'll just give it a shot this week, right? And then 
On the preacher side of the coin, many times the main point of an evangelism sermon is something like this. Hey, what are you guys doing? You got a problem or something? Do you even care about all? Do you care about people? Like, don't you know the wrath of God is coming? Are you even serious? Because if you were serious, you'd be going out there and knocking on people's doors right now, right? But, family, what we are going to see in today's text, that both our reaction of having a guilt-motivated, I just ate a bad burrito attitude, and the preacher's drill sergeant exhortation is contrary to the heart of Scripture, it's contrary to the heart of evangelism. And that's what we'll see in today's text in chapter 4, is that evangelism happens when we delight, display, and declare the gospel. All right? Evangelism happens when we delight, display, and declare the gospel. By the way, that's my first preaching alliteration. I was, got so excited. I texted Dan. I'm like, hey, Joe, check this out. There's three Ds going on. So delight, display, and declare the gospel. All right, and a quick side note for those who are not Christians. Um, I had a buddy in college, his name's Rob, who was sharing his faith outside of class. And his professor would come up and tell him, hey, I don't want you proselytizing these people here. But the interesting thing is that that statement itself is a proselytizing statement. And I would submit to you that we are always proselytizing. See, in the Bible, in Luke 6, it says that out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we are always speaking from our deeply held beliefs of what is meaningful, what our purpose is, and what we believe is true about the world. See, everything we do and say is shaped by what we believe. And because we all have beliefs, we can't get out of proselytizing a.k.a. evangelism. See, the issue isn't about proselytizing it, it, because it's impossible not to have beliefs. The issue is how your beliefs lead you to treat others. New York Times bestselling author Dr. Tim Keller sums it up well when he says, quote, tolerance isn't about not having beliefs. It's about how your beliefs lead you to treat other people who disagree with you. And so if you are not yet a believer in Jesus, we're so glad that you're here and want to keep inviting you to come, keep listening, keep engaging, and we hope that as you listen to a sermon about sharing faith, that you will see how Christianity can provide for you a ballast for loving your neighbor well. All right? So coming back to chapter four, two, uh, chapter four verse two to verse six, here it is. If we tackle this text right away, and not consider the fuller context of this letter to interpret and to understand it, it's going to be like side tackling a baby bear with its mama watching, all right? We are going to be in a world of hurt. It is going to be one of those bad burrito evangelism sermons and we'll miss the whole reason of why we display and declare Jesus. And here's the thing, Paul is kind enough to show us the trapdoor to avoid mama bear. And that is in verse 2 in chapter 4. Let me read it to you. Let's read verse 2. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 
So Paul starts out this section by telling us to pray, not go out and start knocking on someone's stranger's door or sending a whole bunch of spam emails about Jesus, right? He tells us first to do what? To pray, to spend time with the God of the universe. And that is what prayer is all about, communing with God. And in a sermon about evangelism, evangelism, that is critical to understand. See, prayer is not tacking on one more thing on the already long religious to-do list. In fact, Christianity's core message is that fundamentally, you're not able to check all the boxes. That Jesus had to check everything on that to-do list and applies that to you so that you don't have to do anything to prove yourself in front of God. And doesn't this make sense, though? Like, how are we going to declare and display Jesus' beauty if we never spend time with Jesus? One of the most respected theological scholars of our day, Dr. Joel Beakey, says this concerning evangelism and prayer. And here's Kirk's smile right away here. (laughs) Quote, How can we proclaim him in public if we don't meet him in private? How can we proclaim him in public if we don't meet with him in private? Family, could it be that your evangelism is next to nothing because the times you meet with him in private is next to nothing? Could it be that your lack of delight in declaring Jesus to others be because you lack the delight of his presence. And that is what Paul is trying to show us underneath the trap door in verse 2. Prayer is not the end. It is the means to delighting in the God of the universe. And so as we crawl through that trap door in verse 2, you know where we end up? Right back to chapter 1. How we pray and delight in God is rooted in the gospel. How we pray and delight in God is rooted in the gospel. And so that we're clear on that word gospel, um, the word gospel isn't primarily a musical genre with a Kirk Franklin catalog. Um, Gospel literally means good news. The good news of Jesus his person and work. And you cannot understand Jesus if you don't know who he is and what he's done, the gospel. It's like, um, my name is Sam, right? And so it's like um, reading a random name like mine, Sam, and since there's a gajillion Sams out there, you don't know if you're thinking about the right one, right? Well, the gospel focuses you rightly on the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of Mormonism, not the Jesus of Islam or the Jesus of Jehovah Witness. That's why the gospel is so critical. And that's why we see that the gospel in Jesus is sometimes used as synonyms in the, in the Bible. Because the gospel helps us look and worship the correct Jesus. All right, so check this out. Check chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 3. Hear how the gospel plays out in Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. All right, chapter 1, verse 3. Verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you. You see that? St. Paul wasn't just talking about the gospel bearing fruit and increasing among unbelievers here, but also among you, the believers, the church. See, the gospel doesn't stop at salvation, but continues the work of salvation throughout the Christian life. It is not a one-time message to get you into the door of the Christian life and you're done with it. The gospel is the whole shebang, the whole house. In his book, The Cross-Centered Life, author C.J. Mahaney writes this concerning the gospel. Quote, The gospel isn't one class among many that you'll attend during your life as a Christian. The gospel is the whole building that all the classes take place in. Rightly approach all the topics you'll study and focus on as a believer will be offered to you within the walls of the glorious gospel. Mmm. Amen. See, the gospel is the juggernaut force that will knock down the walls of your idols and bears fruit in your life. If you, if you want maturity in Christ, if you want strength in your faith, then you must grow to understand the gospel deeper, not on something else. And that's why Paul continues on in this letter and prays not that we would graduate from the gospel, but that we would understand more of the gospel. And Paul does this like a theater director, unveiling a curtain to the show. Read with me chapter 1, verse 24. Again, this is pretty cool. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up for what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. See, this mystery of the word of God being fully known was hidden for generations, but it's now revealed to his saints, to his church, to us. And what is this mystery, Paul? What are you talking about? Skip ahead to chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Read with me, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of foolish assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. See that? See, the mystery that was hidden for eons is now unveiled to you in the preeminent one, Jesus. And it gets better. Go on and read the very next verse, verse 3, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You hear that? All the riches of understanding knowledge you could ever dream of wanting 
is now yours in Jesus. We don't unbox Jesus and put him away on a shelf. We delight in him. We think on him. We rejoice in Jesus. Family, it's, it's open swim time. We, we dive in and get into the unsearchable riches that are found in Jesus. And this is what it means when we say, preach the gospel to yourself here at Crossway. To delight yourself in the immeasurable riches that are found in Christ. To rehearse these truths and to be transformed. That's why Paul says to believers, not to unbelievers, but to believers, not to be moved away from the hope held out for you in the gospel, Colossians 1.23. To let the word of Christ, this mystery, dwell in you richly, Colossians 3.16. Um, uh, you know, in my prime, I was known as the human food disposal. Um, and some of you were eyewitnesses of this. I think Eric, Kyle, uh, Joby Ryan. Um, here's a story. When I was newly married, Abby would make these huge meals on Sunday night with the intent of having two to three days worth of meals, right? Seems pretty good idea. But she was horrified to find out that I had a buffalo living in my stomach. Um, I would like eat that whole thing in one sitting and then I would make a sandwich afterwards. It was terrible. But now, man, I'm in my like late 30s. I can't, I can't do that anymore. Like that would kill me, it'll destroy my stomach. Um, Abby has uh, got me on this thing called uh, diet. You know, where I have to eat these weird leafy things called vegetables. It's weird. But listen, God doesn't want any of you to go on a diet when it comes to feasting on the glorious buffet found in Jesus. God gives us taste buds and a stomach to tell us that there's a place where you'll be completely satiated and satisfied. In John 4, Jesus tells a Samaritan woman at the well that whoever drinks this well water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give will be like a spring of water welling up, spilling over into eternal life. In John 6, Jesus says, after feeding 5,000 people, told the crowd, hey, you may have ate this bread that took away your hunger momentarily, but I am the true bread that comes from heaven that whoever comes to me will never grow hungry again. Family, God is inviting you not to dine on these other foods of the world that won't satisfy you, but to come sit at his table and to feast and delight on the riches that are found in Jesus. Let me read you uh, Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, verses 1 to 2, one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And hear how God, Jesus, is inviting you to dine with him. Isaiah chapter 55, I'll read it to you. Verse 1, this is God talking. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good 
and delight yourselves in rich food. Family, delight yourself in the rich food of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And that leads us to our latter points, that after we delight in the gospel, we display and declare the gospel. Remember, the gospel isn't just a set of cold, hard facts that you can put on an index card. The gospel is the proclamation of salvation. It is the very power of God for salvation, Romans 1.16, that continues the the act and work of salvation, 1 Corinthians 15.2, and bears the fruit in your life, Colossians 1.6. It is what my friend Drew Pond describes as news that gives life to dead bones. You know, um, in the Old Testament, there were examples of prophets like Elijah who had performed miracles of raising people from the dead. Amazing. Just read a story yesterday with my um, sons. But now, did you know that we have yielded something greater? The power of the gospel that defeats death forever and raises dead men to newness of life. And in Colossians 2, it details the gospel power. And it starts with the death, Jesus' death. That as the preeminent one hung on the cross and breathed his last breath, we too breathed our last breath with him. And as he was buried, we too were buried with him in his death. And as he was raised, conquering death forever, we too have been raised forever with Jesus. See, his death was our death, and his life is now our life. His righteousness is now our righteousness. Our old identity has passed away, and behold, we have a new identity, a new life in Jesus, the preeminent one. Y'all, this is, this is what we display to the world, our new self, our new identity. Let me read you chapter 3, verse 3. Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, it is through this new identity that, verse 5, we put to death our old identity and put on like a new shirt. I got this new shirt, by the way. For verse 12, our new identity. And the gospel bears fruit as you wear this new identity. Let's go to verse 12, chapter 3. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, humility, meekness, kindness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has to complain against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Um, This is the identity in which we understand chapter 4, verses 2 to 6. Particularly verse 5, which says that we should be making the best use of time, walking wisdom towards outsiders. Like, we, um, as God's chosen ones, should be putting on compassion, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience as we engage with those who operate from a totally different worldview. Like, could it be that God not only cares that you share the gospel, but also how you share the gospel? The new identity should cause you to act in a peculiar way. Like, you want to be bold in taking an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and yet not shove it down people's throats because you're patient as the Lord is patient with you. You express compassion and kindness when people mess up around you because God has shown you compassion and kindness when people mess up around you. And because you messed up around him plenty of times, right? You are humble when you are confronted that, yes, there are areas and gaps within you. You can be wrong. You can make mistakes because you're not God. You're not omniscient. Only he is. And, and you know what? Sometimes you don't always have to fight back. You, you don't always have to type that comment back on Facebook or defend yourself because God has achieved the biggest victory for you. See, when you are displaying this new identity, it's going to make you look different. Not weird, not weird, but different. If you're weird, that's on you, all right? <laughs> different is what we're called to be. Let me read you um, this quote I got somewhere from this journalist I read. Ha-ha, it's in my Bible here. All right, so this is a fascinating quote. It's from um, Ben Saxon. He's an atheist and columnist for The Spectator. And he writes this about his observations with cool Christians, all right? Quote, I am not religious, so it is not my place to dictate to Christians what they should and should not believe. Still, if someone has a faith worth following, I feel like their belief should make me feel uncomfortable for not doing so. If they share 90% of my lifestyle and values, then there's nothing especially inspiring about them. Instead of making me want to become like them, it looks very much as if they want to become more like me. See, when we live our Christian's life and not admit this changing new identity and still live as though we're living in our old identity, this is what it looks like to old people. You're not cool. You're just fake. Verse 5, you're not walking wisely and making the best use of time, chapter 4. Like, if people can't tell that you're different, that you actually delight and display in the gospel, why would they find, when you preach the gospel, why would they find that compelling? See, Displaying this new identity should cause people to be uncomfortable, not because you're weird or you're a jerk, but because you love and care for them so well. That's what displaying the gospel looks like. And see, this new identity also doesn't change, doesn't just change how we act, but also the changes how we talk. Hear what Colossians 3.16 has to say before we go on and finish chapter 4. Uh, I, I really think this is Kyle's uh, favorite verse because he like, drops this all the time. All right? Chapter 3, verse 16. I think he did it today, too. <laughs> all right, chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ 
dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. See, as you are delighting in the word of Christ and as it's having its way in you and you're richly experiencing the mystery hidden for ages, it's going to overflow through your mouth. And it's not going to come in just one flavor. It's going to come in multiple flavors, teaching, singing, praying, admonishing. See, there's not one way to share the gospel, okay? Let me just free you. There's not one way to share the gospel. Now, the truths of the gospel, they don't change. But there are multiple ways, multiple messengers, multiple forms that it can take. And believer, God has ordered you in your personality, your specific gifts, your relationships around you to preach it authentically. You don't have to be someone like Kirk. You don't have to be a Dan. You don't even have to be the Apostle Paul. In chapter 4, verse 3, the Apostle Paul asked for prayer for himself to share the gospel. <laughs> like what? Like this dude is the best guy on our team and yet he is asking for prayer himself. Yet, here it is. Paul prays for two things in chapter 4. For an opportunity, verse 3, and for the gospel to be clear, verse 4. And that should be our prayer as well. That God will give you opportunities that you would make it clear. Not that you need someone else or to be someone else. In his book, Get Real, Sharing Your Faith Every Day, author John Leonard writes this, quote, Instead of believing you are not made for evangelism, believe that you are the perfect person to share your faith to many people because your personality, your experiences, your knowledge, and the way you say things is the best way for many people to hear the gospel. Whether you're an introvert or extrovert, it doesn't matter. God can use you. See, God has placed you in a particular place, in a particular time, with particular relationships around you so that you would be the best particular person to reach those around you. And then finally, if you notice in chapter 3, verse 16, it isn't just to unbelievers we should be sharing the gospel with, right? It's also to other believers. We should be sharing the gospel to one another all the time. Like if the gospel is the good news that brings life to dead bones, that brings God's power down to earth, and where it forms our understanding of the gospel that bears much fruit in our lives, then we should be encouraging and admonishing and preaching the gospel to each other all the time. Like, how are we going to share the gospel with unbelievers when we don't even preach the gospel to one another as believers? See, when we preach the gospel to another, to one another, you know what happens? We have a front row seat of witnessing its power to change lives. Like, how would that stir up our affections, our hearts, to trust in God's work and be bold in declaring that good news to others? Because we actually see it.
we experience it. In chapter 4, verse 6, Paul describes how our speech is gracious and seasoned with salt. Now, it's, it's not a secret that um, I'm not a cook, all right? <laughs> I love bean burritos in the freezer, and that's why I probably get stomach aches all the time. But I just know, I learned this from Kyle Biro, that if you put hot sauce on anything, 99% of the time it's going to taste good, all right? That's the secret to my, my cooking ability. But when you use salt, it's more refined, right? Salt does two things. It is a flavor enhancer, bringing out what is good already in there. And it also works as a preservative. It's a way to prevent food from decaying. And I just think, like, family, what awesome analogy God calls our speech to be? Salt. That our speech should be gracious, not threatening. It should be seasoned with salt. Bring out the good by recognizing the fingerprint of God in a fellow image bearer. Like, hey, um, Dan, that was really cool that you helped out this patient of yours. That was really awesome. I see God working you with that. Or, hey, like, um, Ryan, that was really good that you massaged my shoulders the other day. <laughs> when I was sore, that's great, man. God really cares for you. All right, we could, we could say that liberally. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Okay, sermon mode. That's on you, man. Yeah, that was totally on me. (laughs) And we can work to fight the decay of sin. And what better way to fight the decay of sin than seasoning our conversation with the foremost preservative, the good news of their preeminent one, Jesus, the gospel. Like, family, this is the high calling we are privileged to be a part of, that we get to delight in the unsearchable riches that are found in the gospel. And then, that which gives us the energy to display our new identity to the world. And then we get to declare those, that good news, the news that brings life to dead bones, that brings the power of God, of salvation in us, through us, and around us. That's what we get to do. So let us delight, display, and declare this good news, the power of God for your salvation, for the salvation of the world. And that's what we are doing at the communion table, that if you're a believer in Jesus, you are delighting in the good news of the gospel, that you're displaying that Jesus' broken body and blood shed for you is what you need and what changes you. And then you're declaring that out as you take the elements to your brothers and sisters here that you need the gospel, 